Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Welcome everybody, here we go to yet another amazing episode of the best podcast in the world devoted to rock music, frankly. And today we are addressing a question which is as old as the hills, perhaps even older. And the question is this, is it Bon or is it Brian? Is it Brian or is it Bon? Now I present to you my uh, esteemed comrade and dear friend Mick Wall, who knows more about this than any other three human beings. We are, of course, talking about ACDC, and today we are talking about their late, very, very, very great singer, Bon Scott. Now, Mick, I'm going to kick off straight away by saying, for you, do you take your ACDC with Bon, or do you take it with Brian? Well, like all right-thinking people that yeah. are never wrong... Yeah, um, yeah, of course, yeah. Bon Scott, obviously. Now, there why, would be yeah. no ACDC without Bon Scott. Uh, was he um, a better singer than, than the recent incumbent Brian Johnson? Yes, for ACDC or, or objectively a better singer? I mean, you know. Um, well, neither one of them are what I would call a great singer, but I think they're both great vocalists. You know, rock music is able to accommodate Lou Reed, Ozzy Osbourne, all kinds of different voices and attitudes. And um, so I, I think both are fantastic rock vocalists. Yeah. I just would always plump for Bon because there's more personality in his voice, whereas Jono, God bless him, is pretty monotone to me. It's, you say that in a Geordie accent, like, it's a pretty monotone. <laughs> sound like you sound like an orc from Lord of That's the right. Rings. So look, we've established that we're talking today about the great Bond Scott, Ronald Belford Scott, have I got that right? Absolutely. Scottish gentleman. He was born in Killamure, uh, uh, as, and the young brothers were also born in uh, Glasgow, of course, and emigrated to Australia in the 50s. In the 50s, as a youth. He was about eight years old, I eight think. Eight years old. And that's where he got the name Bon Scott, because when he arrived in uh, Fremantle in Perth, although there, there has always been a huge population of Scottish immigrants in Australia, yeah. and unlike the Irish immigrants and other immigrants, they tend to look up to them more than they do others. Um, the Aussies look up to the jocks. Yeah, the Scots are seen as being a proud lineage, and the Irish are seen more as wasters. Uh, which is totally not fair. I'm just giving you the cultural no, I know. I just backdrop to, here. <clears throat> I just wanted to delay things slightly by giving you a, a quote from R.S. Thomas, the Welsh poet, who said that the English like the Irish but don't respect them. They respect the Scots, but they don't like them. Right. And they neither like nor respect the Welsh. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I'm kind of... No, I'm not with any of that. So he turns up in the school playground and he's got a very broad Scottish accent. Eight-year-olds respect no one. And they used to take the piss out of him. And two things came out of that. One, his name, because they used to call him Bonnie Scotland. Uh, That's where it comes from. Which got quickly shortened to Bon Scott, Bonnie Scott. He also uh, got into loads of scraps and fights. And that was the other part of Bon that was for real. Right. uh, He was a... A scrapper. He was a scrapper. He was short as well. Little fella. So he became a tough guy. Really tough. Really tough, yeah. Mm, Okay. Do we have anecdotes from his uh, early years of him being a a bit of a a person you wouldn't tangle with? Well, I mean, he ended up in a correctional facility. Uh, He was uh, what they used to call a Larrabee, which meant uh, he robbed petrol stations. He got into fights. He once beat up and nearly killed a policeman. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't pissing around. No, it's all about decisions, isn't it, life? Anyway, look, uh, what (laughs) Mick hasn't said because he's a... Polite gentleman is that he wrote a book about ACDC a couple of years ago called something like uh, it was called it? Hell Ain't a Bad Hell Place ain't to Me, a bad place to be, uh, which sits proudly on many ACDC fans' bookshelves. And in fact, you deconstructed in some detail the background of the band, did you not? The Youngs also moving to Australia from Scotland, the whole background, how it all came together, the whole shebang. No, absolutely. Which is, you know, why uh, Bon and the two young brothers work so well together because. As anybody that's worked with ACDC over the years will tell you, I mean, particularly back then when Bon was alive, Malcolm was alive, when they were still building empires, yeah. it was a clan, you know. Nice I mean, people, would you say, Mick? Well, it was a clan. No, so, that's not what I said. Well, I'm trying to answer your question. If, <laughs> as usual, if you'll fucking let me, no, I'll tell you what I mean. Up. I'm just trying to wind you up. They, it's want. working. They were a clan, and that means you are either in or you're nowhere. Or you are it. Well, you didn't. Knocked e- out. You didn't exist. I mean, you weren't. There was no out. You're either part of the brotherhood, or you're just, you know, completely dispensable, of no consequence whatsoever. What happens to you? Was this um, a consequence of a tough background and a tough life? You know, you had to, you had to know who your friends were, right? Definitely. And also, these days, Australia is a, you know, if you're going to start a new life, it's a pretty wonderful place to go and do that. Mm. Back in the 50s, when they were doing what was known as the 10 quid deal yeah. in this country, they were shipping out people that couldn't find jobs, that had really tough, rough lives. And the Scots and the Youngs were like that. You know, the Youngs were a huge family. There's about eight of them. Mm. And they lived in what were known as the Schemes in Glasgow. Mm. I went up and visited the Schemes in the modern sense. And it was I met one guy who was amazing. He lived next door to them. Back in those days, he said, um, with the dockyards and the mines, where they lived, the air was black with soot, with grime, with Christ. chimney smoke. And he said it was positively satanic, which made me laugh because, of course, it fits very nicely into Doesn't the narrative. Adjust. Yeah, but they were very, very tough guys. The Youngs. I mean, I, I mean, Bon was not tall, but the Youngs were even shorter than Bon. They were really weeny, weren't they? I am not a tall man, but I remember interviewing Mick, Angus Mick, don't once. Say that. Four foot nine is not short. <laughs> uh, in a hotel room, and it was like interviewing a child. His little feet wouldn't touch the ground. You know, he's sitting in an armchair with his feet sticking out. There's a lot of short men in rock. But tough as shit. I mean, one guy you didn't mess with was Malcolm. Malcolm was tough. I mean, beat the shit out of you. The only guy Malcolm would never mess with was Bon. Mm. Bon was the real deal. I mean, he... he uh, I mean, having said this, very like Phil Liner, you know, OK, here's this tough guy because yeah. he comes from a very underprivileged background and had to fight his way from nothing. But at the same time... 
you know, Bond was very erudite. Bond was very well read. Mm. Bond knew wine. Bond knew poetry. People find this hard to believe, but mm, mm. you know you've only got to look at the group he was in before ACDC, who were called Fraternity, and listen to some of their songs on YouTube to see this complete 180 degree different kind of Bon, very soulful, yeah. meaningful, acoustic, trippy. Did you meet the dude, Bon Scott? Yeah. I did meet Bon Scott. Yeah, a few tell times. Us, tell us, please. Well, when I met him, Highway to Hell was out and had done reasonably well for them in Britain. But they'd been doing reasonably well in Britain for a while. But Highway was now making a big difference in America. They were still opening for bands. When was Highway? 77, 78? 79. So they were still opening for bands in America. I mean, Highway was sort of like their sixth album or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, there'd been stars in Australia since 74. But their fame in Australia was now waning. Yeah. So Highway really saved their skin. It was a it was a last chance saloon scenario in terms of whether they would be uh, taken seriously as an international rock band yeah. or whether they would become this kind of a midnight oil, you know, one of these bands from Australia for the rest of their Cold days. Cold chisel. Exactly. You know, not, John that not, not that there's anything wrong with those guys, but no, no, no. Their, their success never translated internationally for yeah. over any period. Yeah. So he was still very down to earth. And there's no way to tell this story properly without also explaining that I met Bon at his heroin dealer's flat. Wow. His heroin dealer was a lady named Silver, who had been the great love of Bon's life back in Australia but who moved in what were considered in rock circles in the 70s, very aristocratic social circles. She lived at Ron Woods of the Rolling Stones place for a long time and hung out with that end of the world. This is the 70s. We're talking about heroin chic. Yes. People think, imagine crack pipes and ghettos. That's not what we're talking about when you talk about the Stones and that end of the world. But Bond was madly in love with her, had written many songs about her on previous ACDC albums. Yes. And I was a, a partner in a, a rock PR firm called Heavy Publicity. I was twenty twenty one, and we did Thin Lizzy, Black Sabbath. I've kind of told this story before, but again, we go back to the late 70s. And in those days, everybody carried cocaine. Yeah. Everybody smoked pot. Everybody drank brandy in the middle of the day. You know, I mean, it was mm. just this. We were in the rock business. We didn't get in the rock business because we disapproved of that kind of behavior. You know, there was no AIDS. In fact, not even really any VD. There were rock and roll private doctors. You could cure anything except heroin addiction. And even that with a bottle of Jack Daniels and three grams of Coke, you could deal with just by, you know, toughing it out for three days. I mean, that was bullshit, but that's what we believed. It's a bit different now, isn't it? Well, we more in possession of the facts. And we have alternatives. Yeah. You know, we have rehabs and better knowledge and the internet and all that stuff. But back then it was who you know. Yeah. So her name was Silver, and she lived in Gloucester Road. Other people bought from her. Chris Squire of Yes, who we'll cover in another episode one Great day. Man. She lived on, like, the third floor, and it was always a schlep having to go up the steps to her tiny flat up there. So she used to lower the drugs on a clothesline down to Chris Squire, and he'd sit there in his car with the sunroof and get it. What was she dealing smack? 
Oh, you name it. But that was the main thing by 79. I suppose if you bought the right drugs up there, you come down with a spring in your step, so it'd be all right. Yeah, or just face first. Fall down yeah. the fucking steps. Yeah. I remember she had this mirror, which she'd bought at Kensington Market, now sadly gone. But it had like seven grooves in the mirror and a oh, big sort of space here where you'd put the big powder. Yeah. So what you did was instead of the effort of chopping this powder oh, into yeah. lines, you just push the powder over the grooves and it just fell into neat I see, it lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as I walked in, Bon, who uh, is, you know, skinny, tough guy with tattoos, and it was, oh, Mick, this is Bon, Bon, this is Mick. I didn't twig he was the singer of yeah. ACDs because they, they weren't that big a deal at the time. Yeah. And he just went, oh, hello, mate, do you want some of this? And I went, oh, yeah, great, cheers. And he said, do you want a cup of tea? And I went, yeah, yeah, great. Why not? So we all sat around at a cup of tea and... Uh, <laughs> And it was very pleasant. And he was an erudite chap. He was totally nice erudite. To One of the features of Bon in his life, particularly touring with ACDC, he didn't hang out with them. He was considerably older. His nickname in the band was The Old Man. How much older was he? Well, if they were 22, he was like 29. Yeah, okay. Well, um, end of your 20s, that's quite a big I mean, deal. it was early 30s when he died. But really, it was the cultural difference. I mean, Angus never drank or took a drug in his life. Malcolm loved his booze and his smoke and his toot and all the rest of it, but mainly the booze, you know, and a man's man. And that was all good. But I think once you get to your late 20s, early 30s, I, I know in my life there was a moment where I just didn't want to hang out with 22-year-old headbangers sure. anymore. yeah, yeah. I actually did read books. I actually did know the difference between a Bordeaux and... Um, a Merlot. I was going to say a Liebfraumilch. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so not only did he not hang out with them, yeah. not only did he live in a separate place to them, because they would share houses in London, on the road he quite often travelled with the support band. So who were they opening for? Probably Aerosmith or someone like that in the in the 78 yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Dave Menachetti from Y&T, they were like the opening band on the bill. And he told me he had a great memory of, they'd just finished their set, this huge outdoor Enormo dome in the summer in America, you know. Yeah. And next one were ACDC for 45 minutes, and then it would be Aerosmith or whoever for, you know, an hour and a half. And they were panicking because no Bon. Where's Bon? <laughs> when did you last see him? I don't know, last night. You know, what was he doing? And literally with five minutes to go before on stage, and that's some desert place in Arizona or something, they see this cloud of dust coming at speed towards the stadium. <laughs> and it's literally two trucks, open back trucks, Mexicans, and it's all... And here's Bon on the back of the truck with a bottle in each hand, yes. no shirt... And they're going, Bon, where have you been? Where have you going? Oh, come on, mate, let's fucking do the show. Straight on. Straight on. Didn't do his vocal warm-ups. No, his vocal warm-ups would have gargled Jack Daniels. And, Bloody uh, hell, man. I mean, Ian Jeffrey, the tour manager, wonderful guy who... Him and Bon used to share a room. Yeah. And he said, I don't know why they put beds in our room, because we didn't sleep for about three years. <laughs> he just said, can you imagine sharing a room with Bon Scott in ACDC? Sorry, Mick. So uh, we quite often in these podcasts jump to the sort of the sad years without spending the time I would like to spend on the big, happy, good mental times. Was his thing booze or coke or both? Or Everything. So was he taking smack at this point? Everything. Bloody when hell. he was in fraternity... Similar to ACDC, if you know the ACDC story, they came to London. Yeah. They were big in Australia. In order to make it in the UK, they came and all lived, like Australians do, came and all lived in a big house in Old Court. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight with Mike. 
hemisphere's fucked. What's less well known is that just three years before, Bon had done exactly the same thing with fraternity. Mm. They lived in uh, Norwood or somewhere like that. Yeah. And again, you know, typical squat hippie house. But fraternity, from the name, you can tell they were hippie band. I mean, right. Bon would play flute. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sake, that you know. That's mad, isn't it? But his nickname in the group was Road Test Ronnie. Uh, because any drug that came in the house, if they were a little bit iffy, Bond would take it. Yeah. Again, you've got to remember, no internet, all right? No. So what you relied on with your dealers was whatever happened to come their way. I mean, th in this country these days, I, I do not take drugs, haven't done for many years, but these days, most of the weed in this country is made in this country. It's done by people that have marijuana farms yeah. under hydroponic lights, yeah. and they make incredibly strong weed. Back in the late 70s, none of that went on. It was always imported. Afghan so, sort of stuff. Absolutely. You get some guy coming in going, oh, I've got a nice bit of rocky Moroccan. I've got a nice bit of Afghani. You know, obviously. And then, was and then, he quite camp then? He was this guy, yeah. He, he was just this one guy who used to service everybody <laughs> in London. He serviced everyone? He, he did. Mate, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, I remember that one of my, uh, that I read about once, was called... Uh, <laughs> I've got some nice Nepalese temple ball. You're going to love it. You see, it's black and the white streaks, that's opium. And everybody go, opium. Oh, man, that's so exotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, they'd come in with powders and pills and go, nah, this was made by a German scientist in 74, but it got stolen from his laboratory. So today, what I've got... And this is the stuff that Hendrix took when he made Electric Ladyland. I mean, you have these conversations. And people days. would go, wow, so... Okay, but of course, and this sometimes resulted in death. I mean, Lemmy has great stories of bikers turning up with all kinds of chemical compounds that would actually <clears throat> kill you or make your hair fall he out. He had this story, didn't he, about how a friend of his died in his arms after taking a drug that was laced with rat poison. Wow. If you recall that story. Wow. It's either in my book or your book. Or was it Moroccan book. rat poison? Or, uh, yeah, only the best. Yeah. But yeah. the bloke literally died, said, I'm going to die, Liam, I'm going to die, and he did die. So well, it was all awful. Really. People did die, yeah. you know, so... Uh, I mean, Which uh, makes Ronnie the road test. Road test Ronnie. A bit of a... So, uh, and lunatic, a bit Australians lunatic in London, can you imagine? So lunatics from I'll all over... I'll try it, mate. Yeah, Stick no, it out uh, me nose. Yeah, crazy Phil was here. He's from that squat in Ladbroke Grove. Yeah, you guys are lightweights. You won't like this. Give it, give it a road test, Ronnie. Here, Ronnie, what do you reckon? <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> give it to me, mate. Way. And if Ronnie was still alive the next day, they'd all get stuck they'd in. They'd all pile it. in. Dead rock stars. For those who have rocked, we salute you. So this is Bon, okay? And don't forget he'd been married. We say Bon. By the time he joins ACDC, he's more or less given up on the idea of ever making it. He just had a horrendous motorcycle accident which nearly killed him, broke nearly every bone in his body, mm. broke his jaw, lost all his teeth. Jeez. When he met ACDC, he was a guy sweeping up studios and, and he met them because he was driving them around while they were doing a couple of club gigs yeah, in, right. in the area. When was that? When did he join ACDC? I think officially he joined them in late 73, early 74. There was a single with their, another vocalist called... Oh, Dave Evans. Dave yeah, Evans. Yeah, right. He's still around, isn't he? He's doing stuff. He is, yeah. I interviewed him for the book. But Bon, well, here's the point, is that ACDC always had that kind of Chuck Berry, Rolling Stones. Yeah. You know, the young brothers with their other brother, older brother George. George, perfected that formula. But here's what took it out of that orbit into something much more interesting. Yeah. Bon Scott. 
Well, that and Malcolm Young's picking hand, which was just insane. Oh, oh no, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but let's put another vocalist in the band. Let's put Udo Dirk Schneider in the band. <laughs> Let, Where'd you come up with that name? Well, I'm, I'm trying to think of a generic no, like sort that. of rock vote. Let's yeah, put yeah, the bloke yeah. from Crocus in there. Let's put Paul <laughs> Diano in there. What are you actually going to have? You're going to have a chugging rock no, band. You're really, absolutely right. I'm just laughing at the who, thought of Who it. are yeah, yeah. tight to... Well, uh, Udo Dirkschneider, because except we're complete ACDC fans. He loves ACDC. And modelled their whole... Uh, I love ACDC. Yeah, especially the Bon Scott. He's a big impression. He's a big... You know, I sing more like Jean because I, I don't really sing, you know, but I also am French. I don't know if you know that uh, Dirk is French. Become French. I, I can be... Jump. Fight in your general direction. Uh, would you like a waffle? <laughs> oh dear! Right, so, so, so Bond comes the secret in. sauce. It, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Right. Read those lyrics. Yeah, that is the work of a lyrical fucking genius. Right. Touch too much. Remember how that begins? No. It was one of those nights where you turn out the lights, and everything comes into view. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I mean, That's poetry. You turn out the lights, and now you can see better. I love that. That's deep. These are lyrics that are, as you said, about Lemmy and Ace of Spades, sort of like a 17th century sort of bawdy street Absolutely. Sort of, uh, anthem, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. He was like the Rabbi Burns of rock. Yeah. He was a real street poet, a real street guy. I mean, the, the endless tales of him fighting and brawling and his drug exploits, his women exploits... All of that stuff is in his songs. Yeah. But there is other stuff. I mean, for instance, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I, I prefer that era. If you listen to a track like What's Next to the Moon. Yeah. I mean, think about that. What is next to the moon? Would Jono ever go, What's next to the moon? next to the fucking moon. I mean, what's next to the moon? I love that. That's a philosophical that's question. That's lyrical. You appear to be implying that there's a radical difference between the vocal styles of Bond and Brian. Oh, fuck yeah. I would, Bond uh, could do a song like Ride On. I would edge more towards there's a slight difference between their vocal styles. No. I'm sure radically different. No, you're so. completely wrong. Am I completely wrong? Completely wrong. It's the right opinion, but it's the wrong one. No. All right, let me present, if you will, an alternative <laughs> viewpoint. Yeah, go on then. Let me put this to you. Yeah, I put it to me. For a certain... Demographic of ACDC fans. Oh, demographic. For a certain demographic yeah, of ACDC. I hate that word. There, Dem- were, there were no such thing as demographics when Bomb was in the band. So there's a, a comparison straight away. For a certain bunch of people who loved ACDC, mm. right, the transition, the segue, if you will, mm. between the Bond era and the Brian era mm. was actually smoother than most people thought because the music wasn't radically different. If anything, it had that nice oh, no. like Lang Sheen. The music the was vocals identical, weren't drastically yeah. different either. They were different, but they weren't drastically different. So I put it to you that some people don't care about my opening question, do you like your AC with Bon or Brian, because they just listen to it, it's all roughly the same. No, I disagree. I think <clears throat> every ACDC fan I've ever met asks you that question. And it's a bit like Ozzy and Dio. It defines the generation. So, mm. for instance, you being the next generation down from me, your ACDC... I would contend is the Jono ACDC. You would contend correctly. Lots of other writers I know of your age absolutely cannot understand why anybody gives a stuff about the Aussie era of Sabbath. It's Dio, because Dio had the better voice. I would contend Aussie was the more unique vocalist, but definitely Dio had the superior voice. Yeah. Jono, you know, what are we talking, one good album? Depends on your point of view. I mean... No, one good album. Back, one back, back in Black, which was essentially... a good album. I mean, an, an insanely huge landmark album. All right, yeah. next album for those about to rock. 
one good track. Yeah. Next album after that, no good tracks. <laughs> Next album after that, no good tracks. <laughs> Next album after that, who made who? But there were stinkers, were there not, in the Bond era too? I don't know if there were, actually, Joel. Can you mm, name one? I would leave that to you as the expert. I can't think of any. Yeah, okay. I honestly can't. And each album is somewhat different. And yeah, yeah. God bless Jono. He's done a great job. But they had found the formula. After Back in Black, yeah. the fact that they fired Mutt Lang, the fact that they fired their management, was all down to Malcolm Young. And this is another story we'll get into when we do an episode on Malcolm. Yeah. But it was all down to Malcolm, who was the generalissimo of the band, deciding that we didn't need those people anymore, we've cracked it, we know what to do. And then they went straight in to make some of the most mediocre albums of their entire career. They did, man. You can't name a Bon Scott album that was mediocre. Okay, that's fine. We need to spend a little bit of time talking about his demise because there is a lot of material to cover there. In your book, you dug, I think, pretty deeper than most historians have when it came to the circumstances of his death in, I want to say, 19th, February 1980? February 1980, right? yeah. Okay, this is where I peripherally come into the story, and very, very tangentially, it's because I knew a woman called Maggie Montalbano, who is now no longer with us, but she was a friend of Alistair Kinnear, who was the last person to see Bon alive. Yeah. Right, so would you like to run us through that and tell us why historians have disagreed about various aspects of his uh, death? If we're going to be real for a moment, most rock and metal journalists don't want the truth, don't know the truth, don't want to tell the truth. And Bon was that horrible word, an icon. So they like to believe that he'd been on the piss and his good mate Alistair had left him in the car to sleep it off and that maybe Bon died of asphyxiation, got sick or whatever, which he may have technically died of asphyxiation. And they always go on about the coroner's report. Mm. Okay, well, I spoke to a coroner for my book, and he told me categorically, who was active in those days, it's the same now, but particularly in 1980, no computer records, nothing, right? Bon was not a famous rock star. You know, if that had been Mick Jagger lying on the slab, or more to the point, say, Keith Richards, more would have been done in this respect, okay? Yeah. But here's a nobody, some Australian bloke with tattoos. He said the only toxicology report that you did in those days was purely on alcohol levels. Yeah. You didn't test to see if there were drugs in there. Poor fucker's dead. Well, now we're going to kill him twice by prosecuting him posthumously, which A, you can't do anyway... And B, who gives a shit? It's not a famous it's sort of person. time and money that the medical people didn't spend. It's time and money. It's just another long-haired fool with tattoos who's dead. Yeah. He drank shitloads at night because Bond drank shitloads every night. But what they never go into because they just don't want to go there, or in fairness to them, they don't have the experience I have, I was there. I was actually there in those days with these same people. And the night of his death... Bon had gone to visit Silva, yep. bought a shitload of heroin, tried to persuade her. It was like a Monday night or something. I mean, Monday night in London in 1980. <laughs> Kill me now. In February. Yeah. He wanted her to come out with him. Come out, there was a group on at the Music Machine. The group at the Music Machine were managed by Peter Perrett's wife, Peter Perrett of The Only Ones, mm. and uh, a fabulously famous junkie as was his wife, yep. and um, 
Silver won't go out. Silver's never was never a boozer. Silver, it was always smack. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I ain't going to that porn Monday. It was at the Music Machine, which yeah. is now the Camden whatever. Monday night at the Music Machine to see a band you've never heard of. You know what? I'm just going to stay here, take my heroin and enjoy myself. <laughs> just the heroin for me, thanks. She goes, oh, but Alistair might go out with you. He didn't know Alistair. Mm. Alistair's just another druggy guy scoring at Silver's. Alistair will probably go out with you. Mm, okay, you know. So <laughs> they go out. And he drinks a shitload because that's what he did. I mean, I, I was probably at the music machine two nights before that with Brian <laughs> Robertson from Thin Lizzy. Yeah, right. And he would order quadruple tequilas just as a matter of course. Well, Bon was one of those guys. Like, not just, you know, you and I might go out and drink five pints and feel mildly no, befuddled. No. A proper, proper drink, yeah. Tons and tons of spirits. Because he also had a shitload of coke on him and he had smack. Now, if you know anything about heroin and and if you were into that stuff any time, but especially in those days, Mm. the golden rule was you don't mix it with booze. Because? Because it kills you. You know, the two do not combine. for the body to handle. They don't combine. It's like oil and water. You will either puke or you will just fall unconscious and puke. Mm. Once they go, they can't wake up. So anyway, this all goes on. They leave the music machine. Alistair's not drinking. He's a druggie. And uh, they're driving back and Bon is out. He's gone. Alistair cannot wake him. Mm. And what never gets spoken about is what happens next. Alistair drives Bon back to Bon's flat in Whose car? Victoria, in his own car. Alistair's own car. Yeah, not back to Alistair's place and lets him sleep it off. He takes Bon home. But Bon lives on like the third or fourth floor and he cannot drag him up the stairs because the man is gone. It's not like, oh, I'm drunk. I love you. He's completely out. He's a dead body, essentially. Breathing. Yes. Right. So Alistair goes to a phone box and rings Silver and says, I don't want to fucking do. I can't get him out of the car. I'm at his house. I can't get up the stairs on my own. What do I do? I mean, it's two in the morning. And she goes, oh, let him sleep it off. Mm. So he's like, oh, fuck. So he drives home to his place. Do we know if he put Bon in the recovery position or anything like no. that? No. but do we know it? Or We know it. We know that that How do you put happen. someone in a recovery in a car seat? I imagine if I had to do it, I would wind the seat down so it was horizontal and then flip him on his side. Okay. I'm not saying I would if I was pissed off my face and this was, I couldn't be bothered. I'm just saying. He wasn't pissed. He was smacked out of his head. Yeah, okay. And he was terrified that the law would become involved. Hmm. There's one thing junkies care about more than heroin. It's being caught taking heroin by police. Crikey. So he drives back to his place in South London, bloody miles away, freezing night in February. Born on the coldest night of the year would be in a, a cut-off T-shirt, you know, with bare arms and... You know, uh, be lucky if he had a jacket. And Alistair, being, what a surprise, an irresponsible junkie who doesn't give a shit, Mm. left him there. Later he said he left a note or, you know, ring the door. He leaves Bon outside a building Bon's never been to before in his life, in a car he's never been in before in his life. And he's gone. Alistair goes up to bed, sleeps till till like four the next afternoon. Yeah. Has his breakfast, cup of tea, bit more smack, comes downstairs to go out somewhere. Fuck me! The bloke, he's still in the car! Only now he's stiff as a board. And that's how Bon Scott died. And like a lot of these deaths, it it gets kind of swept under the carpet. It's one of those things where, you know, oh, Zeppelin broke up because Bonham died. No, they didn't, you know. Bon got drunk, and uh, uh, no, that really doesn't tell the story. What are the theories? I've read that some people thought that Alistair Kinnear did not, in fact, exist. 
He did subsequently vanish a few years later, which he actually actually, he actually went to live on a houseboat, and then he was out doing had a like a fishing thing in the Mediterranean, yeah, in Spain, and that's where he vanished on some sort of trip, right? About ten years ago, I think, maybe more. But um, the the circumstances of Bond's death, as I recall from your book and other things that I've read. Tell me if this is wrong. Is your point that heroin was involved, but a lot of other people did not think that was the case? Oh, absolutely. Because heroin would make you die if you drank. Tell me any other books you've read before my book Mm. that didn't say he died of drinking too much. Yeah, that's that's what it's been said. I mean, like Bonham, right? Drank too much, aspirated his own vomit and died. Yeah, yeah. So why... I mean, God, I don't know if this really matters even. Why is it so important that we, we get those facts straight? Well, why is it important you get facts straight? No, those, why, those why particular it... facts, given that he's dead 30 years. You know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just saying, why is it important that we get this particular element straight? Did he take heroin? Did he not take heroin? Well, this is a philosophical question, Joel. I, may, I, I, like. might, I might as well say to you, why is it important we do this podcast? Do you want to hear the truth or do you want me to spout the bullshit? I like it. All right, you know, good. That's why it's important we get the facts, mate, because you either want to hear the truth or you want to have a wank over the bullshit. <laughs> you know, you if you want to believe in Santa Claus, that's entirely up to you, but right. I fucking don't. Good man. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Dead Rock Stars podcast. What was the impact then on ACDC? Well, ACDC, in the shape of the Young Brothers, it has always been an unstoppable machine. I mean, look at what happened after Jono went. They got Axl Rose in. You know, they don't care. They keep going. What did you think of that, by the way, that move? Axl Rose? Yeah. I thought it was genius. Yeah, me too. I thought it was totally inspired. Off the wall, you know. Axel, Axel. Well, you say off the wall, but Axel loved ACDC. Yeah, yeah. They covered Rose Tattoo on their very first record, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, sure. Nice boys don't play rock and roll. Axel and Izzy loved those Australian bands. Yeah, yeah. Guns N' Roses always did Whole Lot of Rosie. The first time they played in London at the Marquee, they did Whole Lot of Rosie. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, this is this is not a new thing, and just to me, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, well, to you and many people. I mean, I've mentioned this, I've done loads of interviews about this, yeah, yeah. and whenever I mention it, people go, "Did they? Is that right? Really? Can you prove this? Good lord!" And then I go, "Have you heard Axel's voice? <clears throat> you know." <laughs> it's always a baby. Oh, a John wears a hat. So you know why? By the way, you know why John wears the flat cap, right? <laughs> <laughs> no why keep the sweat out of his eyes get away i like it and you know why axel always has a big collection of hats don't you <laughs> no i don't keep the sweat out of his eyes <laughs> this is unbelievable you hear it here first <laughs> all right look malcolm the leader of the band mm. kept pushing forward angus went along with him Cliff, and was it Phil Rudd playing drums at the time or not yet? No, when you say not yet, that's a bizarre thing. Phil was always the drummer from the, just after when Bond, no, no, leave that in here, it's great. Make me sound right. No, no, don't, Ian. So the band Uh, kept going, driven along by... uh, The band kept going, (laughs) driven along by Axel. I I was going to say that. uh, Edit all the shouts. No, no, leave it all in, Ian. Edit out. Ian, the mistakes are what make it. They're all mistakes. You're wasting time. (laughs) Uh, They auditioned loads of singers. Gary Holton from the Heavy Metal Kids, Jimmy Barnes from Cold Chisel, the guy that had been the singer in the Easy Beats, whose name I got, Stevie, 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 Stevie. Yeah, edit that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> edit that bit out. Um, uh, and eventually settled on Brian Johnson from Geordie. From Geordie. What sort of band was Geordie for those who don't know? Poor man's ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, they, they were in the glam rock era. Uh, so can right, you imagine right. Jono in platform, silver platforms and not Lame? They were really good. They had a couple of singles. Yeah. There was one called You Can't Do That. Mm. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Make it sound terrible. I never want and, to hear it. No, no, it's a great track. Look for it on YouTube. Okay. Jono had met Bond. There's a famous story where the two of them had met. Do on, tell. Oh, I can't remember now. You have to buy the book. Um, oh, yeah. Buy the book, read it there. Yeah, and I can't remember. But here is my point. So they auditioned a lot of vocalists Axel. that arguably would have brought as much to the band as Bon Scott did. But they plumped for Brian Johnson. A, because he had a, a great voice to carry on with. But B, they figured he would assimilate better. Shall we put it that way? I like it. He'd do what he was fucking told. Oh, and did he subsequently do what he was told? Well, he was there for another 30 years. I think it's fair to assume he didn't challenge Malcolm in any way. And as we know, their next album was their biggest and their best. It was, and sweet irony, of course, it was the album that should have made Bon Scott the biggest rock star in the world. Had he been involved in Back in Black, actually? Yes, he had. In what um, way? Well, Bon was an inveterate note-taker mm. and was always coming up with ideas for lyrics. He kept notebooks. So it wasn't like one of these guys that goes into the studio and writes lyrics for the album. He always had a bunch of stuff he yeah. would draw, and he'd be in there going, flicking through the book, seeing what he had, an idea... And um, their tour manager told me that the day after he died, I mean, he went to Bond's flat to, as it were, clean it up. And he collected all the notebooks and everything. Mm. And uh, I don't think it's a case of, all well, Bond wrote a whole lyric to this or a whole lyric to that. But there were lots of lyrical ideas and lines that I've been told were absolutely used on Back in Black. Okay. And as I put it in the book, I'm not trying to go on about the book, but I can't think of a better way of putting it. You know, with Bon Scott, you know, there were lots of double entendres in ACDC. With Jono, we're into the world of single entendres. (laughs) You know, we're no longer what's next to the moon. We're sink the pink. 
See, I Balls that. to the wall! Did you enjoy it? Oh, no, that was except, wasn't it? <laughs> Might as well have been interchangeable. Did you enjoy all this stuff? What stuff? This single entendre, Jono era stuff. Back in black, no one with a pulse can deny what an no. absolutely fantastic record that was. But their only good album with Jono, you know. Yeah. For those about to rock, one good track, the title track, and that itself very formulaic at that yeah. point. The next two or three albums are worst in their entire catalogue. And even when they work with Rick Rubin, you know, unlike Sabbath. Ball breaker. Yeah, unlike Sabbath, unlike the Chili Peppers, unlike everybody else that's ever worked with Rick Rubin. Yeah, he failed to execute a sort of rebirth. It was like going to the hairdressers and saying, I want you to give me an Elvis Presley. And then halfway through going, fuck, what are you doing to my fucking hair? I like it long down the side with a blonde streak you know that was malcolm it was malcolm's way or the highway i put it to you that the mid to late 80s onward did not suit acdc they were not from that era their albums didn't sit well in that era with the production the expectation that people had of rock music well aerosmith did okay they sounded nothing like those terrible acdc albums that we're talking about blow up your video and all that bollocks here's the thing I don't think you can blame the era for making a shit record. No, but no, you're right. But what I meant by that is that I think if the Highway fa- the to Hell of the day don't they partly dictate whether an album sounds. No, good these or are not. timeless records. If Led <clears throat> Zeppelin two had come out in 1989, it would have been a multi-platinum. Mm. I, I only mean sorry the the bad ACDC albums that we're talking about. Well, bad but, albums are bad albums at any time. If those bad albums had come out in 76, they would have been dead. Well, OK, that was the point I wanted to make, really. Would the songs have sounded better ten years before? No, maybe? they're just shit songs, Joel. They right. were shit in the 80s. I'm trying to be nice they're to shit now. I'm trying to help them out. You're a young man who grew up listening to that bollocks. Fly on the wall and all that bullshit. Cack, it, really? Fucking wipe your ass on it, mate. In the era of Metallica <laughs> and big heavy bands it like that, it wasn't stand the up, fucking it? era. It was the shit songs mm. you know metallica worshipped acdc but which acdc did they worship All right. bon scott mm. okay. and back in black what about uh, black ice was that a return to form no it was rubbish better than the previous ones <sighs> pretty low bar and what was the last one rock or bust <sighs> what an inspirational title that <sighs> yeah, is desperate isn't it I don't know. I, I've, always, <laughs> I've always tried to like acdc post back in black i just find myself fucking falling asleep it's because it's shit, John. Yeah, I know. And then Back in Black. Thank God for Back in Black, because you can spend that all day, every day, and it's just amazing. Well, that's the point. I mean, and that is the point. You know, when you say, okay, they only made... Well, when I say, rather, they only made one great album. Mm. What an album. And also, that's one more great album than 90% of yeah. every rock band has ever made. Would it have been as good with Bon? Oh, fuck yeah. Better. Okay, so it's not simply because it came at that pivotal turning point in, it, in the band's history that it was so amazing. Of itself, it was incredible. Well, the timing is important in terms of its commercial <clears throat> success. <clears throat> but in terms of it being a sonic masterpiece, if that came out today, it would be the same. If it come out in 75, it would have been the same. You know, it's not all down to timing and history. Mm. You know, when it comes to the classic albums of all time, Appetite for Destruction would have been as amazing in 73, more so, arguably. If it came out today, like, that would ever happen in this Mm. weak-willied rock world we live in. Weak-willied. Sounds like a producer. These are classic albums. It's It's funny, you know, I totally hear you and understand you, but I tend to take a different view, which is that art is embedded in its time and that you can't necessarily translate it easily and that sometimes things which are great in one era... Why are we still listening to it, then? Because certain albums do transcend that, I'll agree with you. Well, that's what I'm talking about. 
That's what I'm talking about. I just said more than 90%, right? All right, Mick. So the Beatles are no good because they're not, we're not in the 60s anymore. The Beatles. All right, listen up. We normally end these things, do we not? <laughs> he said, ignoring you, moving on. By giving uh, marks out of five for various criteria which we apply to the uh, recently or latterly deceased uh, subject under discussion. Now, this is a good one about Bond, right? How many marks out of five, Mick, would you give Bond Scott for his star quality? Bearing in mind he didn't dress like fucking Bowie, he didn't prance around like Freddie. He was the working man's rock star, you know what I mean? One of the great things about ACDC was they didn't have a video, didn't have a single... And mainly in Bond's career, apart from in Britain and Australia, they opened for huge bands like Aerosmith and Ted Nugent. Mm -hmm. And they often began the night with audiences that had no idea who they were. Yeah. And by the end of that night, that audience would be on its feet. Bloody knew who they were. And that was down to the brilliance of the band. But in terms of charisma and excitement and complete undeniability, that was Bon Scott and Angus Young. Beautifully put. So I would say five star. Five quality. by five. What about Bond's influence? Bearing in mind, we are still talking about him, but ACDC became commercially much bigger with Brian than they had been with him. Well, the commercial thing's interesting. I think it doesn't matter anymore because we have all this music at our fingertips. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter whether it was 1980 or 71. You know, it's the same with Zeppelin. I would say Bond's influence, I wouldn't give it five because... I don't see enough people following in his footsteps. Right. There aren't enough storytellers. There aren't enough real deal larrikins that have the personality and the talent to do what Bond did. Yeah, well, yeah. So I'd probably say three. All right, I like that. Taste for excess. Five. Well, he did die of it. No, the man lived it. Mm. He lived it long before he died of it. All right. He was on, may I say, a highway to hell. <laughs> Our final criterion is whether we deserve to give him high marks for death as a career move. He's young. He had, lo- is... he had more to give, did he not? Hard, isn't In it? In terms... Oh, boy, it really is hard because obviously the next ACDC album goes on to become one of the biggest selling records Without of all time. him, yeah. Yeah, although I would argue that I don't think Bond's death had any direct influence on that. It was a nice press story back in black, dedicated to Bond. It was a nice press story. But at the end of the day, every band, every day of the week, puts out nice press stories. It was the album that made it. And whatever way you slice it, it was made without Bond. So um, death is a career move. I'm going to say three. All right. So his greatness contained in a particular period of history, which we're still talking about. Mm. Right. And everyone will for a long, long time to come. Moving swiftly on to the rock star you're going to hear about next time. While Bond and our next dead rock star could both be considered street poets, our next artist would definitely consider himself to be a proper poet. Whilst Bond was the life and the soul of the party, it's not something our next dead rock star has ever been accused of. Indeed. And what's more, in 1974, the pre Scott ACDC supported our next dead rock star on his Australian tour. And while Bond famously wrote about Rosie, our next dead rock star wrote about Suzanne, Caroline, Lisa and Sally. And if that's not enough for you, while Bond saw Venus with arms, our next dead rock star saw her in fur. You can infer everything you like. Well, everyone, that's it. Thank you very much indeed for tuning in. This has been a Seven Digital production, and we will be back next week. Or should I say we will be back in black? Ah!
next week. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye now, you Johnny. Goodbye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.